Hello, folks. This is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira. It's funny. I got a text a couple of weeks ago from my old next-door neighbor, Mark Saito. You may recall in one of my earlier podcasts, I told you my dad blowing holes in the hardpan soil of the garden of our new house, while the neighborhood boys and I all watched in awe. Well, Mark was one of those boys. He'd seen my sister Marilyn at a high school reunion. I'm so glad to run into your sister, because after I moved from the old house, I lost track of everyone on the block. Love to chat with you, Ernie, and my cell is blah, blah, blah. So I called Mark, and we chatted for an hour. I never talk with anybody for an hour. We talked of our neighbors, what everyone was doing, about our own lives, and we talked a lot about my dad, how the boys on the street loved him. He built that basketball backboard in your driveway and let us play all the time. And he let us split wood with him, and he made homemade root beer with us, and he took us backpacking in the mountains. It was good to talk to Mark, and I have to get out to California to see him and my older sister Bev and my uncle Les. Now that conversation made me think of how my dad loved the mountains and of how he and I spent many, many days backpacking and fishing and just being up there. So this week, we're going to spend some time in those Sierra Nevada mountains in my story from Anashira. loved hiking, backpacking, sleeping outside, fishing, being with the guys. He didn't need a lot of comfort in his life, which was important in those days, the 1960s, if he wanted to backpack deep in the wilderness in the Sierra Nevada mountains. He and my mom loved the mountains so much that they celebrated their honeymoon camping in Yosemite Valley. I remember a picture of him shaving soap all over his whiskers, standing in front of a mirror on a tree on their honeymoon. They slept in an old, heavy army surplus tent, not that easy to carry around or pitch, but it gave them shelter and it kept them dry. I grew up in Fresno, California, which was a good place to live if you loved the mountains. We were about an hour and a half drive from Yosemite or Sequoia or Kings Canyon National Parks. When I was about 12, my dad decided that we'd start backpacking in the Sierras. He purchased several Army surplus backpacks, shovels, and sleeping bags. I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago about my dad's best friend, Ernie Vio, who met me near San Luis Obispo one night while I rode in the Great California Land Rush. Uh, The same guy. The three of us left for our first of what would be dozens and dozens of backpacking adventures. Our gear and provisions were pretty simple. Each of us carried a backpack with a sleeping bag, plastic ground cover, aluminum cup and bowl, some clothes. Now, these backpacks were everything but comfortable. Heavy, canvas on a metal frame, bulky. I think they were called mountain rucksacks. I was not that big at the time, and it felt like someone had a couple of metal bars pressing alongside my spine. 
They were issued to the 10th Mountain Division in Italy around 1943. I did get used to that backpack, but I never got comfortable in it. Now, the sleeping bags we had were called mummy bags because when you got in them, they were so tight you looked like a mummy. Fairly light, filled with down, well, feathers, I think. We didn't take a tent. My dad was a minimalist. No headlamps like they have today. They didn't exist. We did carry a flashlight and matches. Uh, We took some simple first aid, needle and thread for stitches, antiseptic lotion, some aspirins, band-aids, chapstick. Boy, you needed it at those high altitudes. Suntan lotion, not sunblock in those days. They called it lotion. And of course, insect repellent. Uh, We each took a pocket knife. We didn't take a stove. We did have one pot and one aluminum frying pan for the three of us. We took rope and some ground cover for an emergency shelter, which I don't recall us ever needing. Amazing. We never got rained on. We didn't take air mattresses or padding. That was too heavy. Each of us had a canteen. Now, we were always close to streams or lakes, and at that time, the water was cold, delicious, and potable. There was no beaver fever caused by Jardia in those mountains in those days. Now it's everywhere. So dip your hand in the creek, put it up to your mouth, and drink. Ah, delicious. Fill your canteen and drink. Ah, tasty, cold. No need to boil water or use filters or chemical disinfectants. So for clothes, I took a jacket, a sweater, a swimming suit, a couple of pairs of hiking socks. That's about it. It would be 100 degrees in Fresno when we left. But when we camped at near or over 10,000 feet, the temperatures would be below freezing. Down into the 20s sometimes at night. And of course, we took my dad's 35 millimeter camera. He would take hundreds of photos turn them into slides of our trips over the years. Food. And you might think food was high on our list, as we all love to eat. But it was pretty low. There were no delicious dehydrated meals in those days, and we were concerned about weight. We took some Bisquick for pancakes, powdered milk for the pancakes and for our coffee. We took ground coffee. You'd put it in boiling water and let it steep, filter it out. We took Tang. We thought we were smart when John Glenn and this NASA crew copied us for his Mercury flight of 1962. This Tang was an orange drink, and uh, it was good if you were thirsty. So water, Tang, and coffee, those were the only drinks. Later, we'd take hot chocolate and tea. We had dehydrated eggs, not to be confused with anything delicious to eat. Those were just eggs. You'd put some water with them and fry them, and I don't care how hungry you were. Uh, Well, they tasted better if you were really, really hungry. We took instant mashed potatoes. In those days, ditto for the eggs. Sugar for coffee. And our syrup that we use with our pancakes, which was made from mapleine. This was an imitation maple flavoring. Mix this with 
a little bit of it with sugar and water and boil it for two minutes for the sugar to liquefy, and then you had something to put on your pancakes. People today, you can still buy it. In fact, I just bought some mapleine from Amazon. I'm going to make some syrup and surprise my wife Dawn with the delicious nature of it. Uh, took some cooking oil for the eggs and pancakes and plenty of raisins and nuts and crackers. The main thing that we counted on eating was fish, trout. They were fresh, delicious, and we didn't have to pack them up the mountain with us. This led to the most important stuff to pack in, our fishing gear. We each had our own pole and reel and line, and we took care of it individually. We didn't fly fish. We used lures and bait. And we each had a creel that we used to carry the fish that we caught and carry extra hooks and stuff like that. And we had a couple of favorite lures that worked. One of those that I used a lot was called a flatfish. And another was called a super duper. And we had them in different sizes. For bait, my dad was very innovative. He hated spending money for worms. Why pay for them? You can just dig them right up, he said. But he got tired of digging around the garden every time he went fishing. So he built a redwood box it was about one foot wide, three feet long by four feet deep. And he built a top to it and he buried it in a shady spot in the flower bed next to our garage door, a place it was easy to get to. And he filled it with some fertile soil, threw in dried cow manure, mixed it up, and he gathered a few worms and he put them in it, kept it damp. And this was his colony. We put in coffee grounds, melon rinds, fruit peelings, pieces of lettuce, whatever we had around, not too much. And these worms thrived and they reproduced. My dad also liked using mealy worms as bait. They were easy to find at most sporting goods stores. But again, why pay for them when you can grow your own, he said. He built a farm out of an old aquarium, put a screen over the top, put it in a closet, in the garage where the temperatures were always warm and it was dark, he put in a layer of feed about three inches deep, chicken feed or wheat bran, any kind of cereal grain. And then he brought several, he bought several containers of live mealy grubs. And we call them mealy. The proper name is meal grubs. I don't know why we call them mealy. Then we waited. And these grubs would mature into what's known as a darkling beetle. Each one lays about 500 eggs, which become larvae, known as mealworms. They reach the pupa stage after several months, then become a darkling beetle, then lay eggs. This process takes about six months, and then you have your bait. You just had to feed them every now and then. The most important thing we took was maps, detailed topographical maps that my dad got from the U.S. Geographical Survey. It was a gold standard for topo maps. Now, these maps were produced for different quadrangles, which covered the entire country. So before our trip, he'd produce the maps for the specific area where we'd be hiking. And these were called quads. And he'd see how far we could drive in, then see the lakes, streams, and trails that were available. He taught us how to find the map reading clues 
and navigational data in the map legend. And I swear my dad would rather get off the trail and say we're heading up that mountain and have his map in his hand and he'd just go cross country, happy as a clam. I think Paul enjoyed planning out these trips as much as he loved taking them. The best thing about these trips was no women or girls, at least through my high school days. For the first year or so, it was my dad, Ernie Vio, and I. Ernie had been my dad's best friend since before World War II. They shared a love for outdoor activities, playing volleyball, the YMCA, and the Methodist Church. My mom and Ernie's wife were also very good friends. Another trait they had in common was they were quiet. They didn't need to be the center of attention, and neither of them liked talking about their emotions. If you asked one of them about feelings, he'd likely respond that he was hungry or not thirsty or most likely that he felt fine. We'd frequently leave on a Thursday or Friday the night before we'd pack up everything. Once we hit the trailhead, those two didn't want to take any time standing around chatting. I remember that trip we took to the Dinky Lakes. There are a number of lakes close to each other. It's not too long a hike in. So we left on a Thursday. Ernie drove to our house and we loaded everything into the trunk of that 1949 Chevy, backpacks, containers with bait, and an old aluminum cooler that my dad had all of his life. It had ice and a few bottles of RC Cola. So off we drove. We headed north, then east to Lake Washan, then on to Courtright Reservoir. Parked the car, got our gear in order, and set off for Cliff Lake. So this was one of our shakedown trips, one of our first. The hiking was not too difficult. We started out at 8,200 feet and ended up about 9,500 feet. It was still light, so we fished for a while. Caught a mess of fish. We decided to hike on to Rock Lake and to Second Dinky Lake. It was getting dark as we set up camp. We found a place where someone had laid out a fire pit it was easy. We didn't have to pitch a tent or set up a stove. We gathered firewood. We were high, about 9,300 feet. And when the sun went down, the temperature dropped. Even though it was late June, it would freeze that night. We had a pot with hot water. Ernie made instant mashed potatoes. We grilled the trout we'd caught on sticks over the fire. We were so hungry that it all tasted great. The fish weren't too big. We ate three or four apiece. As the sun went down, out came hordes of mosquitoes. They must have been hungry. They went for my hands, my neck, and my forehead. We sat by the fire for a while. It was cold, and we were being eaten alive in spite of the repellent we had on. I went to get in my sleeping bag and realized I hadn't paid a lot of attention to my sleeping area. I was on the ground, no air mattress, and I hadn't laid down a layer of pine needles or boughs like my dad and Ernie Vio had. I moved out as many rocks as I could. I got back in the bag. Even so, I soon got cold. I got out, put on an extra pair of socks and my extra flannel shirt. Huh. I was still not warm. I think my dad was cold too. I could hear him moving around in the night. We all stayed in our bags until the sun came out. It was still cold, but beautiful. 
I could see across the lake to a rock cliff and above it the ridge containing the Three Sisters Mountains. Better than a picture. My dad said, let's get to fishing so we can have some protein for breakfast, but don't catch any more than you can eat. It was quiet, so quiet we could hear each other across the lake, casting. Could hear the lure hit the lake, hear it being reeled in. No one around except for us. After an hour or so, we went back and Dad mixed up some pancake batter and some mapleine, instant maple syrup. It's amazing how great those pancakes with imitation maple syrup, grilled trout, and a cup of tang. That orange juice tang tasted. We hiked out to Island Lake to see it and do some more fishing late in the morning. It was amazing. We hadn't seen a single other person. In those days, very, very few people went backpacking. All we heard was the wind and a few birds calling. This lake was 400 feet higher. You could see the timber line all around you. The trees climbed partway up the mountains and then stopped at 10,000 feet. Above that, only granite. Granite. The sky was an incredible deep blue, almost indigo. We ate nuts and raisins and some dried apricots for lunch. No one wanted to light a fire. It warmed up. I can still see in my mind my dad and Ernie sitting on a big granite boulder in their white t-shirts, their creels hanging from a strap over their shoulders, fishing poles in their hands, big smiles on their faces, chewing nuts. Dinner was a little different that night. Same mashed potatoes, but we filleted the trout and dusted them in biscuit and fried them in oil. They were just as delicious. This night was colder than the last night. Pa said, I won't be cold tonight. Watch this. He took a hot rock from the fire pit, rolled it in his spare pants, and put it in the bottom of his sleeping bag. He got in. I was not very warm, but I heard him say, Ah, this is nice, and ah, my feet are toasty. I had put some pine needles under my sleeping bag as a sort of a cushion and smoothed out the ground, but I still felt like the girl in the story of the princess and the pea. Man, I could feel every little rock. I finally fell asleep. Then I heard my father yell, Oh, hey, ow! I could see him dancing around outside of his bag. He was banging at the bottom of it with his jacket. Turned out the rock was so hot, it burned his pants, the bottom of his bag, and nearly took out his feet. So the rest of the time, he slept with a hole in the bottom of his bag. So much for his experiment. The next day, we hiked some more, fished some more, and again ate fish for breakfast and dinner. By this time... We weren't so excited about those trout. On Sunday morning, we caught a few trout to take home, wrapped them in wet ferns in our creels to keep them cool, and hiked back to the car. Oh, were we glad to get there. Dad pulled out some mounds and Almond Joy candy bars and pulled some RC colas out of the freezer, and we started down. Ernie and I fell asleep. I'd learned a few things put in a pair of extra long underwear for cold nights.
and for those cold mornings. Add some interesting things for dinner to go with the trout. Maybe some instant mac and cheese. Some instant soups for variety. Take some instant hot chocolate for a change. Some tea. Find some mosquito repellent that worked. Take a book to read. We had plenty of downtime. It was several trips later that we were headed to a different destination, a place called Mosquito Lake. For the life of me, I can't remember where it was. I know it was near us in the Sierras, but I can't find it. I do know that we got a late start on a Friday, and we didn't have time to make it to the lake before dark. We were hiking up a valley next to a stream. It was my dad, Ernie Vio, and my Uncle Dick and I. We found a good flat spot near the stream and laid out our bags and went to sleep. Somehow I had made a comfortable spot and I slept like a baby. I woke up and could feel the warm sun on my bag. I realized my dad was speaking to me in a quiet, very calm manner. Ernie, do not move. Listen carefully. Do not move. Next to you on my bag is a coiled rattlesnake. Trust me, I will kill it. Do not move. Easy does it. I opened my eyes. I could see it coiled up about a foot and a half away. It looked like a monster. Scared? Yes. Terrified? Absolutely. I did not move. I waited. I heard whispering, rustling, then my dad's voice again. Ernie, I'm here. I have a big stick. Do not move. I'm going to smash it. Then I heard its rattle going. <laughs> Do not move until I tell you. Rattles getting louder. <laughs> whack! Another whack! Got it, okay, Ernie? You can move now. I heard grown men hooting and hollering. At a boy, Howard. You got him, Howard. I sat up. The snake was on the other side of Paw's bag, cut in two, dead. It was as big as I'd thought, as thick as my arm. I'd never seen a western rattlesnake that big. Well, I'd never seen one near me. I'd never seen my dad so emotional. He even gave me a hug. He cut off the rattles and gave them to me. Six rattles, six years old. Those rattles hung on my bulletin board in my bedroom for years. I don't know where they are now. I wish I still had them. The three of us went almost every other weekend in the summers for years. Sometimes we'd invite one of my friends, maybe their fathers, one of my uncles, one of their buddies. One year we drove it to Shaver Lake, then higher to Huntington Lake, then on back to Florence Lake, and then f finally on to Lake Edison. It seemed like an odyssey just to get to the trailhead. It was 7,100 feet of elevation. The hike was beautiful. 3.3 miles to Graveyard Meadows. 2.7 miles further to Upper Graveyard Meadows. Then one mile in to the lowest of the Graveyard Lakes, which was almost 10,000 feet in elevation.
Something was different now in our hiking. Once we started, Ernie would get impatient with our pace. Howard, he said, I'm taking off. Ernie had run track in college and was as thin as a rail and as fast as a horse. Well, he beat us up easily. We hiked steadily up. It was a good climb. Much of the way, almost 3,000 feet of elevation gain, there were several sections of steep pitches. My dad and I were now used to carrying those antique backpacks and made it up those eight miles to the lowest of the three lakes. We continued up to Middle Graveyard Lake at 9,600 feet of elevation. We found Ernie sitting on a rock, his head in his hands, backpack on the ground. Ernie suffered from altitude sickness, especially after his swift climb to nearly 10,000 feet. He was silent. Pa and I knew he'd suffer for 12 to 24 hours until joining the living again. It was late in the afternoon, and we hustled to get camp set up. These lakes had been gouged out by glaciers and are so high there are few trees. I found enough pine boughs for my mattress still no air mattress, and we scrounged up some wood for a fire. Nowadays, you must have a wilderness permit to get to these lakes because they want to keep the crowds out, and no fires are allowed. In those days, we practically owned the place. We ate a simple meal of chicken noodle soup and crackers and hit the hay. By now, I packed long underwear and extra socks. My dad had replaced his burnt bag years ago. This time we had taken an extra skillet. So for breakfast we ate scrambled eggs, pancakes with mapleine syrup, drank delicious coffee and hot chocolate. Ernie was feeling better, but not well enough to hike up to Upper Graveyard Lake with us. It lay above Timberline. My dad used his mealy grubs to bait a hook and pulled out a nice big rainbow. Then another... We hiked home all the time looking up at the granite cliffs on two sides of us. Majestic. We got back and Pa boiled some coffee. I'll never forget the smells of the pine trees, the coffee, the smell of the smoke of the campfire. For dinner, we wrapped those fish in foil. Well, we'd snuck a little bit in and baked them in the coals. Ernie and I had splurged on our weight and carried up a couple of boxes of rice-a-roni. Remember those ads? Rice-a-roni, the San Francisco treat. Well, maybe you don't remember them, but they still sell that stuff. So we made the rice-a-roni, and we finished eating. We cleaned up, lay back on our sleeping bags, looking up at the sky. The stars were just amazing, unbelievable. It seemed like millions. Do you see Aquarius? My dad said, see the water jar? Yes, of course, said Ernie. And can you see Capricornus the goat? Yes, sure do. I see the Big Dipper right above us, I said. As we were falling asleep, Pa called. Do you see Echo next to the Little Dipper? Ah, yes, Echo was the first reflecting satellite, a giant balloon that was sent into space and inflated in August of 1960. It could be spotted about every two hours as it circled the Earth. 
Paul had been pointing it out to us for years. He loved spotting it. We fell asleep or dozed off. Before we knew it, Paul's voice. Are you guys awake? Do you see Echo? There it goes again. Ernie, Howard, I was just falling asleep. Yes, I see it. Later, it seemed hours. Capricornus was no longer visible. A whisper. Anybody awake? If you are, there goes Echo again. Ernie, I was asleep, Howard. You don't need to point it out anymore. It will be there forever for us to see. And we fell asleep again and got up and caught a couple of trout for breakfast to go with our instant scrambled eggs. The air was cold. The lake was steaming. And we hiked out, got into that 49 Chevy and drove home. It was time for me to go back to high school. Thank you for listening to these stories. We thank Anashira for sponsoring them. Anashira makes wonderful handcrafted soaps from the milk from our own goats. So we would catch these trout and clean them. Before going back to camp, we rinsed our hands, but they still smelled of fish. We carried little bars of soap, the kind you'd get for free at a Howard Johnson's hotel. We washed our hands well before we fixed dinner. Oh, I would have enjoyed a bar of wild oat soap from Anashira. I would have really enjoyed that ice-cold shower with that soap. Well, I have a surprise for you. We've increased our discount for you listeners for this holiday shopping season. Enter discount code STORIES20 for your post-Cyber Monday 20% discount. It is good through the first of next year. You may not have just cleaned a fish, but our soaps will still make your skin feel luxurious and nice. Well, Ernie was wrong. Echo didn't stay in the sky forever for us, as he said. It fell to earth and burned up in 1968, and its sister Echo 2 did the same in 1969. There were no more echoes. And our regular trips in the Sierras ended as I got a job myself the next summer and was gone for three months working at Lake Sequoia. And the following summer I left for Germany. I look back and I am shocked about how things like watching Echo cross the sky and backpacking with my dad and Ernie Vio just end. And I can't go back. I thank you for allowing me to bring those memories back to life and share them with you. Join me next week when I'll tell you another story from Anashira. Anashira.